this now. <laughs> Whoa, pardon me. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> Welcome, all you annual pass holders, cast members, past to present, or Disney fanatics, anywhere and everywhere, to this preview episode for a podcast limited series called Two Goofs. The show where two former Disneyland cast members and best friends discuss their time working in costume for the Disneyland character department. We are those two friends. I'm Adam, and uh, with me is the second member of our goof troop, Jeff. Ahoy hoy. So if you are a regular listener to the movie podcast Jeff and I have been doing for three years now called Sequel Quest, we thank you for checking out this special preview episode. And if you're a Disney fan checking us out for the first time, just to let you know, Sequel Quest is a show where we imagine prequel sequels and reboots to movie franchises such as The Mighty Ducks or one-offs like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and even WALL-E. So uh, we invite you to take a listen at our archives while you wait for the official launch of Two Goofs in a few short months. What is the Two Goofs podcast exactly? Well, we can tell you what it's not. Uh, This isn't an expose on the dark secrets of Disneyland or a couple of disgruntled former employees tried to air any dirty laundry. Uh, It's really a fond remembrance of a time in our lives that was truly unforgettable. Uh, you know, that being said, we will be sharing our recollections of some wild goings on behind the scenes. So again, we hope you'll join us for each new episode when the show officially launches at the beginning of 2019. But, you know, as former cast members, we both have a great respect for those magic memories we were able to create for guests at the park over the years we spent bringing those beloved animated characters to life. So we don't want to ruin the fantasy for anyone. So if you want to keep the magic alive, proceed with caution, right? (laughs) But if you're a Disney Parks fan who is fascinated by all the the behind-the-scenes work that goes into creating those experiences that last a lifetime, and you want to hear personal stories of what it's like to put on a costume and really inhabit those characters at the Magic Kingdom, then you're going to get a kick out of this series. On this preview show, we wanted to give you a little history about our friendship, our experiences with Disney properties and parks growing up, and a a few behind-the-mask tales uh, from the character department to get you primed for the fun to come. So we can get to that, but before we do, Jeff, did you have anything you wanted to add about what you're expecting? I've always been a big Disney fan, and working for Disney just made that grow. And for me, it's less about, yeah, taking away some of the magic and more the behind the scenes can add to the magic. Like, uh, hopefully for most of us that are listening, and I would prefer if it's mostly on the adult side, uh, is that it shouldn't be a shock to you that there's actually a human being inside of the costumed characters. But for the most part, like... The people inside really love what they do, and they really love bringing that magic to life. And if we can bring a little bit of that, then I think we've done our job. So just to kind of give you a history of who are we then, who are the people that are going to present this information to you. So Jeff and I, we both grew up in Irvine, California, which is just 15 minutes away from Disneyland. We met in high school doing drama together. And in case you didn't know, the Disneyland character department is filled with former drama kids. It's an 
epidemic. <laughs> is it though? You don't think I don't so? know. No, I would say that there are many dramatic people, uh, but I don't know that I would say they're <laughs> drama people. Eventually, we graduated. Neither of us got into the UCLA theater program. Did you try out? I did. Oh, really? I didn't know. I that. never even told you. It was such a shame. It was such a shame. What <laughs> monologue did you do? I did a terrible monologue from Romeo and Juliet that I yes. got. I got standing ovations in high school, and you do it there. <laughs> they did not want it. Same thing at a, at a Disney-sponsored high school drama competition. I did that. The note was, you know, there are more levels than just angry. <laughs> I did Cry Havoc and Let Slip the Dogs of War. Same thing. There's more levels than just angry. Perhaps we were better suited for working <laughs> undercover then. Because being over six feet, each of us, we both performed as goofy height characters at Disneyland in Anaheim, as well as California Adventure. We were there for the open of that park and we really watched it transform from what it was initially launched as to what it has become now so we were there from 1999 to 2005 collectively jeff was there that whole span i had two different periods that i was working there and we'll definitely get into that on a future episode but jeff is also two years older than me so just so you understand kind of our connection there but we happen to share the same birthday we have similar insecurities and senses of humor and uh yeah yeah insecurities bond you (laughs) okay so what are no, I don't want to. No, we don't need it. This is a bad podcast. But if you say so, I'll believe you. <laughs> but yeah, we've had a lot of different adventures that we've brought each other along. So this is just one more to add to the list. But what I'm curious to hear about is Jeff's time growing up before I knew him, taking in the Walt Disney Company product, because like he said, he really was a Disney kid. So why was that, Jeff? Well, being a child of the 80s, because I was born in 1980, I was kind of in the sweet spot for the Disney, the second golden age, whatever with like Little Mermaid and Aladdin and Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and all that. Like I was front and center. Like that was my era. The old, what did they call the the VHS boxes that Disney would make that were like the big old fat ones? Yeah, the clamshells. The clamshells, yeah. And then like the other part was because I grew up kind of just taking it for granted. Living, although I, I think I would dispute the 15 minutes away. Southern California, 15 minutes is like five miles in traffic. <laughs> So it's more like 20 to 30 minutes. But nonetheless, we live about 15 miles away from Disneyland. Uh, But because of that, like I would go to Disneyland. I was never an annual pass holder, but we would go to Disneyland. Like usually our school would take a like an annual trip to Disneyland growing up doing theater and stuff like that. I was always in honors choir or whatever. So we would go and do magic music days. So I was at Disneyland between one and three times a year every year. So I was very, very familiar with the park by the time that I worked there. That's crazy to me. I wish I went to your school. <laughs> Closest <laughs> I ever got to a theme park was SeaWorld, but we didn't go to Disneyland. And I was in choirs. I did all that. And they were dropping the ball. For, I mean, for me, I was into Disney again. Like you said, it was just everywhere. I had the Disney storybooks and cassette tapes. I ate Disney character-shaped popsicles. I had this awesome <laughs> battery-operated Disneyland train set that drove around little figurines of, like, the three little pigs or Mickey, Donald, the Goofy like it was so cool you would push a button to move them on to the next section i even had records for like pirates of the caribbean and the haunted mansion that i spun on an old turntable so disney was definitely just there from the beginning but the other thing that really 
made Disneyland seem special and understanding what had inspired it to even be built were the Disney Channel previews that came along every year. Those were a big event for me. But, Jeff, you had the Disney Channel, right? Right. Is, now, it's weird because your parents are notoriously frugal, but they uh -huh. splurged on cable. Well, it's funny, and, and it's always interesting how there are certain things that certain cultures consider necessities. And so it was kind of that thing. To this day, my family has never viewed cable as optional as like a luxury. Like it's always just been one of the expenses. Like we might not be able to afford to go out to eat, but you just have to pay for cable. That's just kind of an assumption. So for me, I was definitely a basic cable kid. So for that week, I was just up at 6 a.m. I was watching Mouser Size. I was watching Dumbo Circus and Welcome to Pooh Corner, New Mickey yeah. Mouse Club. And then Kids Incorporated was the Kids big Incorporated. one for me. So the other thing that the Disney Channel had, which was really special, was they would show the classic Disney cartoons. It usually had like a morning block, you know, and, and they would show like, you know, a half hour's worth of the classic cartoons. So, Jeff, I was wondering, is there one for you that has stood out? Because I used to also rent them, you know, in between the previews. I would just go to the library and rent Disney videotapes like Mickey's Magical World. I have a copy of VHS now to this day. But is there one that stands out for you? where you said, oh, this is where I got to know those core characters. Gosh, there's so many, honestly, because it is that thing that you're right, and I guess I do take it for granted, especially because now it's almost impossible to find those because they don't put them on television anymore. They're not really streaming. Hopefully when the new Disney streaming service comes out, they'll allow you, but maybe not. Their moratorium is pretty uh, intense, but like, and that was even, to be perfectly honest, and we can get into this uh, later or maybe even on a later podcast, that was one of the things as a Disney character that would come in later. Most Disney characters were not familiar with those cartoons because they were so hard to find. So for me, yeah, I did grow up with them, seeing them on the on the, the Disney Channel. But the two big ones, I guess, that really are first and foremost is one I always remember the snowball fight between Donald and Huey, Dewey, and Louie where they build the giant snow forts and they have cannons that are shooting back at each other and just like, it's it's spectacular. And then the the motorhome one where Goofy's driving in front and they do all of this sort of physical comedy along the world. And then Goofy ends up leaving the car to come back and eat dinner and so no one's driving the car and... Yeah, that one's one of my favorites. Yeah, those are great. You know, for me, a very big one that I always go back to is one called The Worm Turns. And it's kind of an odd title for a, a Mickey Mouse. And he actually is in kind of a weird situation. It's Mickey Mouse is a mad scientist. And he's working in a lab. You know, he's got all the beakers and test tubes and stuff. And he creates this serum that he sprays onto weaker creatures, you know, animals and insects. And then they're able to fight off their predators. So that was one for oh, me that I just loved. I yeah, that. that was very cool. That's a, that is a weird yeah. one. <laughs> and then the other one is it's, it's another uh, Donald Duck with Huey, Dewey, and Louie. And it's called uh, Donald Duck and the Gorilla. Yep. That's a great one. Yep. We're like, Huey, Dewey, Lee, yeah. fake him out with a gorilla costume, but then a real gorilla has escaped and is in the house. And uh, the action of those were just so, it was very, right. very fun. There used to be like a, a set that they would show all the time that was the Halloween set. And there was a, several of them. There was them when they were the ghost hunters. And there was, and that one was always one of those 
on there because they hear on the radio about the gorilla being loose and it's kind of scary and everything. Yeah. But we know that beyond that, again, like you were saying, Jeff, our era, we were there for the Disney Renaissance in theaters. And I don't know if you had a favorite there. For me, it was always Aladdin. I got to go see Aladdin at the El Capitan Theater in Los Angeles with a, a summer daycare group. Like that was a huge experience for me. Is there one that sticks out for you the most? Actually, we didn't buy many of the clamshells because again, financially, like that's just how we rolled. So I think we only ended up with like one or two of them. Then we'd wait for them to come out on TV and try and record them on the VHS. And so, I mean, Aladdin was definitely the most entertaining one. I've always been a sucker for Little Mermaid. I've, the music in Little Mermaid is the greatest of all. And But it's one of those things as a male, especially a teenage boy, you can't say that out loud like no that can't be your favorite you gotta have you something say ariel was like. cute i always thought she no was cute. you can't <laughs> no dude a 13 year old boy no nothing is cute girls are still gross like no because like i actually you, you know again we're talking about our choirs but like we sang under the sea part of a big oh, yeah? choir concert you know like even beauty and the beast for Halloween one year, me and a friend of mine, she was Belle, I was Beast, and then we learned all the choreography just by watching their big dance in the ah. ballroom over and over again, and then we performed at a talent show together as Beauty and the Beast, you know, so they just, they gave you so much to work with, but also, after school... The Disney afternoon was like the place to be. You had to rush home. You were going to see DuckTales. You're going to see Darkwing Duck, Chippendales Rescue Rangers, Tailspin. Oh, Tailspin was the best. <laughs> Goof Troop. Don't forget oh, Goof, yes, Troop. Goof Troop. That was the latest. Exactly. Edition. That was the one. Like, when they started getting into Goof Troop and Marsupialami and like all these other ones. Marsupialami. Wow. And then, but what was the other one? Bonkers, the cat who was a Toontown cop. Yeah, I remember that. Well, even Darkwing Duck was a late addition. I don't think it was an original. No, no. I think it was just Gummy Bears, Tailspin, and um, Rescue Rangers. Right, DuckTales. DuckTales was the one that like, was oh, Duck the flagship. Oh, yeah, like, you're it right. It started earlier, and then they ported it over to Disney Afternoon, and that was like the big deal, you know, like that you could see DuckTales right after school. Still a huge deal. They just rebooted it recently. People have been uh, searching for that for years. I, I'm lucky enough to have a couple like DuckTales VHSs and Darkwing Duck and all this stuff. Like that, because again, like that's almost the only way you can get these things anymore, you know, just the little bits and pieces. So, like you said, hopefully we get a streaming situation. But this is my question then for you, Jeff. When you talked about going to the park three times a year sometimes, I, I made it every couple of years. I would go like when family came into town or something my dad was the vice president of a company that owned the anaheim hilton which was just down the street so family would come and stay at the hotel and go to the park and so i would come along and i only asked to go probably twice in my life like for me one was during the disney afternoon promotion in the early 90s they had disney afternoon live and we'll get to that in a bit also at high school when two older girls invited me along <laughs> i do you know you remember belinda of course uh, yeah sure. she called me up one day she's like we're going you want to come i was like yes older girls and my dad spotted me like 50 bucks to get in for four hours that night and i recorded it all on audio cassette of course because this is an old That's addiction how he rolled back then yeah. <laughs> so maybe that will be a bonus episode someday maybe i'll uh, put together the clips from that which i should point out just and, and it's it's kind of a side note i mean we are kind of talking about the behind the scenes stuff 
the most absurd thing I think about Adam, like as a character, like as a human character, <laughs> is his dad. No, correct me if I'm wrong here, Adam. Your dad had an employee who was the widow of one of the 33. Is that the story? Yeah, that was. She was an ex-wife. She was an ex-wife. So now, okay, back backstory. There is the most elite club in maybe the entire United States. Is called Club 33, where Club 33, it's up above Pirates of the Caribbean in Disneyland. And up until Michael Eisner changed the rules, the only people that could get into this club in the entire world were the 33 people that originally founded Disneyland and their families. So Adam, because he had this connection, could literally get into this club virtually whenever he wanted. So when I heard that as a Disney fan, my mind was, well, not literally, figuratively blown. Because he took advantage of that, I think, two times? About two times on my own. Like, that was the thing, is, yeah, so I I would go as a kid for lunch buffets, like when my family was in town, my dad would (laughs) kind of wine and dine them. And I just remember it being a weird place with food I wouldn't eat. So as a kid, I didn't understand how special it was. But then when I was a senior in high school... I took my prom date because I was like, this is going to be awesome. Our location for our dance was in Anaheim. I'm like, let's go to Club 33. Yeah, so we're walking around and we're all formal and everybody's like, congratulations. They thought we had just gotten married, you know? <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, I'll finish the story because it's pretty fantastic. We went in, we had our dinner and right as, you know, we're, we're about wrapping up. There had been this birthday party just off to the corner of the dining room and we thought it was kind of weird. I mean, it is a place, again, for people who have that connection the VIPs they could get in with their families so anyway this couple come up behind us as they're walking on their way out and they just kind of put their hands on our shoulders and they're saying hey you know we just want to say you guys look great when you go to a dance tonight oh yeah we're like thank you and then we looked up and it's Tom Hanks and his wife <laughs> And we're like, what? Hi, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. Thank you. And then they just went on their way. And Woody himself wished us a fine night. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that would go on. So, yeah. And I'd also like to point out that Adam and I also took dates to prom. uh, And he didn't take us to to (laughs) Club 33. We went to a park and we made them dinner. Come That's on, much man. more special. Come on. Wasn't it, though? Uh, but we no. have, we, in costume, in character, we've had a lot of celebrity encounters over the years. So we will have a special episode dedicated to that because we had more than our fair share of run-ins, especially working at Goofy's Kitchen. Famous people have to eat, too. So <laughs> uh, that was pretty good. But outside of that, Jeff, so while you weren't able to get, uh, you know, into the uh, the elite dining areas... What were your favorite experiences at Disneyland? What was your go-to ride? Or was there just an area you wanted to be in a specific land that was your favorite? I feel like one of the problems that Disneyland has actually had is teenagers. The magic of Disneyland, I think, is the ambiance, is the character, is the feel of the place. Which, if you're a teenager, you could not care less about. So by the time I was in eighth grade, having been there, like literally what you would do at Disneyland is you you would show up, you would go on six rides, you would go on Space Mountain, you would go on Matterhorn, Big Thunder Mountain, Splash Mountain, Star Tours, and you'd do that and you'd be like, well, I'm done. And like literally that was all Disneyland became. So for me, like uh, even as a as a as a teenager, Disneyland had a 
limited appeal. So at that point, of those six, and this is pre-Indiana Jones, so Indiana Jones would maybe be the sixth, but um, of those, Splash Mountain was always my favorite. And it was kind of one of those where I think as a teenager, you'd go on it because it has that big drop at the end. But for me, it was more that like, I think Splash Mountain of all of those thrill rides that they have there, Splash Mountain's probably the one that Walt would be the most pleased with because there's a story, there's characters moving around, there's music, there's it's a lot of fun. The adventure of the ride actually fits with the storyline, and that's what I loved. Although, again, as a 13-year-old, I'm not going to admit that to my my eighth grade friends. <laughs> See, that's interesting. See, you, you focused on okay, kind of essentially what are the cool rides? What are the thrill rides right. of Disneyland? For me, because I'm a very nostalgic person, even as a kid, I was nostalgic for my life as a kid five years earlier. <laughs> so when I was getting to be a ju- in junior high and a teenager, I still loved Fantasyland. You know, that's like the little kid area. You know, like that's what everybody always thinks of it as. But for me, it was about the cartoon characters coming to life in three dimensions and all of those rides basically had actual sculpted figures of the characters even if they were not totally animatronic but actually my absolute favorite ride was storybook land was the boat tour it just floating along seeing the tiny houses from pinocchio and wind in the willows because it helped me blur the lines between reality and fiction which is my favorite type of fantasy so i could believe that the animated characters really live there you know they're just tiny you know they look big on the screen but they're tiny and you film them you know (laughs) so that was always like my go-to but this is the question that i have for you that jeff is is there an attraction you miss and wish would come back? Because Walt Disney's dream was that it would always evolve. And it's, wow. I mean, in a big way now, we know Star Wars land is coming and all of that. So we're missing out on some pieces of the park that were there from the beginning almost. And it's kind of sad. But so for you, what's that attraction or that area of the park that you miss that you wish you could be there one more time? Without even skipping a beat, Country Bear Jamboree. Up until they closed the Country Bear Jamboree, when I was working there, as an employee of Disneyland, you would get a number of sign-ins per year so you could get people into the park for free. Not unlimited. There was a limited amount, but uh, you could do that. So I, I told all of my friends, like, dude, I'll sign you in. But the deal is you can do absolutely anything you want, and I will follow you anywhere you go. That's wonderful. We got to do Country Bear. That's my one rule. You got to do Country Bear. You can make fun of it all you want. But we got to do Country Bear. Kind of like you're talking about nostalgia, coming there as a kid and my dad singing, thank God I'm a country bear the whole rest of the day because that song just gets stuck in your head because that show never changed. It was that exact same summer vacation show year round. They stopped switching over to Christmas at some point and they just rocked that summer vacation one all year long. It was funny. I found a high def recording that somebody had done of the show. It was unofficial. Somebody had snuck in a video camera, but they did it like really well. And so I actually burned it onto a DVD and I gave it to my dad for Father's Day, which he was a little confused about. He's like, what is this again? Like it clearly didn't have the connection for him that it did for me. But yeah, that was always my favorite. Country Bears. Oh, that's interesting. See, 
if I connected to this particular ride basically out of fear initially. It was a ride that I didn't want to go on, and eventually my brother, my older brother, was able to convince me that it would be worth it, and that it was. And that is the Submarine Voyage ride. It's still there, technically, but I want it to go back to being the low-tech affair that it was. Because when it closed in 1998, I was bummed, and I remember as I started working at the park, there was always this rumor, oh, it's going to become a Little Mermaid ride, which I would have been all for, because the Nemo theme just doesn't do it for me, especially like the projections and all that. Like, I just don't, I want actual physical creatures in the water. And the the original was so murky and creepy. And, and like, you know, I can really imagine <laughs> that sea monsters and mermaids were living there and coming to life. And they used to have real mermaids out in the lagoon, you know, that would wave to yeah, you. Yeah, but that's way Yeah, I know, not, not, our, not in our time. I saw that in a book. <laughs> but my saddest day was... When Jeff and I were working there, and he'll remember this well, we were walking backstage behind Toontown one day, and we just saw on this rack was this bald, sunburnt body of one of the mermaids from the submarine voyage. And my heart just dropped. I was just like, this is not coming back. And they just don't care. It's the end of an era. So one is just kind of like a behind-the-scenes trivia sort of a thing. When they launched the fireworks... They launch them backstage, obviously, so it doesn't hit anybody who's, you know, out there in the park. And so that's the reason that a lot of the, like, broken animatronics end up back there, and a lot of them end up getting scorched by those fireworks. Yeah. So, because, yeah, they looked like, it looked like a, a post-apocalyptic film <laughs> back there. Uh, and that's mainly the reason why. Yeah, if you've ever seen, like, the mythical, like, Fiji mermaid skeleton that would go in, like, carnivals and stuff, <laughs> that's what it looked like, and it was gross. <laughs> But speaking of gross, no, I'm just kidding. Is there also for you, because Disneyland, it could be about the rides. It could be about the characters. It could be about the atmosphere. But it, for a lot of people, it's about the food. There's like a treat there. There's something you go hoping to find or at least to smell or to see. So is there a go-to for you when you get to the park? You're like, look, it's not a trip unless I've stopped here and gotten this snack. No, again, with my family, we did not pay for food there. They, the the closest thing that I will say, which I would expect that will probably leak out in, in this podcast, is I'm a big history buff and kind of a trivia guy. And the best place to stand if you're going to watch the parade is you got to stand on Main Street because right in front of the bakery, there are these two vents where they pump out the smell of the cooking bakery food, even in the times when there's not food cooking, they actually pump out the smell of cinnamon and chocolate and vanilla. So it smells like it's constantly being baked food there. Yeah, it's that area like just right next to the Carnation Cafe, right? It's like right in right, that area. Right, the Penny Arcade yeah. and yeah, right around. So yeah, well that's interesting. Yeah, see for me, I don't stop on Main Street very often. I love it, but I get myself to New Orleans Square and I gotta get a mint julep. <laughs> I gotta get a mint julep bar. I'm, as long as it's from Disney. Yeah, Land. exactly. I'll hit it two or three times. The virgin mint julep, I had to call it. Actually, exactly. speaking of Club 33, so one of the other times I went there was I took my wife there when we were dating, and it's not at all something that would impress her. She hates anything fancy. Gourmet food is not her thing, but she was up for it, you know, so she went. So I asked for a mint julep. 
and they brought me a real mint julep because I forgot, oh, I'm in a club where they actually serve alcohol. And so <laughs> I, I clarified with the waitress. I was like, I'm really sorry. I meant from the mint julep bar that's just downstairs. She's like, oh, we don't serve that here. I was like, oh, okay. But Disney customer service is second to none. She went down and got a pitcher of mint julep from the mint julep bar and brought it up to me. And I was just like, so happy for that night. It was so special, you know? So there you go. Hospitality, baby. So Jeff, this is my other question that do you think as someone who visited the park, is there a special memory for you that's maybe out of the ordinary for most people? You think it was kind of a one-time affair or something you saw that most people would not see? Kind of For me, one of the most kind of fascinating things that happened was shortly after Hunchback of Notre Dame came out, the movie, they assembled a spectacular set over by what's now, I think, going to be Star Wars land. That was the Festival of Fools or whatever. And it was this three-story, 360-degree thing. And they did the Hunchback of Notre Dame stunt and musical show. And I remember I saw that show one time, and it was phenomenal. It was Quasimodo is swinging across the audience, going side to side and up and down, all that sort of stuff like that. There were fight scenes, there was music, they were singing, there was just, not only was the show amazing, they, they kept the show going for quite some time, but the set was so amazing that they kept that set there for, I think, like maybe 10 to 15 years after that show closed. Because they were just like, the set is so spectacular, we don't want to tear it down. And not only that, we don't really have anything else to, to put here. So they just, I remember for a lot of the years that I worked there, this abandoned set was still there and it was spectacular looking. So my guess is that a lot of people that visited the, the park in those years would just see this abandoned set. And just kind of wonder about that. And I, I remember having like breaks. There was a, a break room just past. It was the old actually cast break right, room that's what I was for that say. show. That. Yeah. yeah. And I remember it was a horrible break room actually <laughs> of all the break rooms. Other than the fact that there was only – I think there was only two people in there, which was even exactly. creepier. But nonetheless, yeah, so we got to see it all the time. And so that was pretty that was pretty awesome. Yeah. It, it actually, you know, the singing and dancing show element is actually where one of my memories comes in too. Because my older brother, he's 17 years older than me. He married into a family of professional clog dancers. Yes, that's a thing. They were called the Elm Street Cloggers, and they performed at theme parks like Knott's Berry Farm and Disneyland. So I got to see my brother dance at the pavilion that's out in front of Sleeping Beauty's castle. So I got to see him do his clog routines and do an Elvis impersonator routine, which was just kind of surreal. My brother as Elvis at Disneyland. It was just a weird situation, but I'll, I'll just never forget that. But on the other end of things is this is uh, something to tease you with that I hope we could bring out. We could keep it from being too incriminating. Man, I might have to do a voice changer or something. But I had a friend, <laughs> Jeff knows him as well, who was a highly skilled trespasser. That was his hobby, essentially. Oh. His group of friends. Yes, now it's coming to you, right? <laughs> and he managed to sleep over on Disneyland Park property on several occasions no so he, no you don't believe it no, i know you don't i don't see that's the other part too is this i was also 
Adam would believe virtually everything this man said. Well, so. here's the thing, though. He had evidence because he had he what he had done is snuck onto rides while they were under renovation, and even sometimes in operation, he knew where the blind spots were with the cameras. He would test them, so he would go in and he would like we'd be on Pirates of the Caribbean, and literally, I was with him once. He jumped off right where the the skeleton is driving the boat, you know, and he just jumped out and ran behind it you know the the ride didn't stop nothing had happened he had been testing it for years and he jumped out disappeared at the end just before the ramp when the guys are shaking the bones for the dog to give him the key he was there with the three prisoners in the jail cell and i it blew i wish i had a camera it just i just couldn't believe what i was seeing so that's why i lend so much credence to his stories uh and he also had from pirates of the caribbean he had the head of the mayor who was getting dunked into the actual well in town and he had a parrot and he had one of the pirate heads so yes he was a criminal and a thief and he did get caught eventually and was on the lists of disneyland so it's all there but i did interview him just for my own personal entertainment on an audio cassette in the early 2000s i still have the tape so if he will allow me to release that that's something i would love to share with everybody because the stories are amazing <laughs> which is why we do question adam's choice of friends from time to time <laughs> oh i love the odd hey jeff what does that say about you yeah i know i realize all that right now. well let's you know as we're wrapping up here you came to get the inside scoop on what it's like to be a costume character so the question i have for you jeff is was there ever an encounter as a child growing up with a costume character, was that any in any way a part of an inspiration for why you wanted to work at Disneyland? Can you remember a specific experience? No. Like, honestly, it's the craziest thing. Like, the dream is for kids to feel like their cartoon characters have come to life. I never once felt that way. Like, I did not come to Disneyland thinking that Mickey Mouse lived there. I never, like, that was that was not my experience. The closest thing that I had, which sadly, and we can talk about this maybe on another show or something like that, is the Disney afternoon not only was a big deal like we were talking about for our childhood, but actually radically changed what it meant to be a character at Disneyland. And I was a part of that. I mean, I wasn't a character. I was too young at that time. But I definitely participated in the whole thing where you get a map and you run around and you get stamps and you do a lot of sort of stuff like that. I remember doing that. That was kind of the closest connection that I had uh, to a character. See, that's so interesting because that is definitely mine too. That was like a pivotal experience. They, I just remember them advertising it, you know, the Disney Afternoon Live. Come on out, meet your favorite characters on Disney Afternoon Avenue or whatever, you know. And you would know where to go and you could say, yes, right. Darkwing Duck's going to be there. And that's who I was there to see. I was like a superhero Disney cartoon <laughs> character based on the shadow who I love. All right. And so I remember going there and I had made my own autograph book and i am the opposite of jeff and that i bought into it like i was nine years old i still 
wanted to believe and didn't see a person beyond the mask. I was saying, this is really Darkwing Duck, and I'm meeting him. And especially Launchpad was there with him. And I was like, Launchpad, he's a crossover from DuckTales, and he's on Darkwing Duck now. And, you know, and so I was... But you know, and Jeff will tell you also that that really didn't even go away in my teenage years. We went to the short-lived oh. Marvel Mania restaurant at Universal Studios, and I was too bashful to ask Spider-Man for his autograph so our friends had to go back and get it for me as we were leaving <laughs> and so like, I, I buy into it as much as I can but anyway so but meeting Darkwing Duck was a huge moment for me I still have the autograph book that I made Bell's autograph it has a lot of different characters in it but going back to Launchpad on the episode when we get into our auditions you're going to hear how that fateful meeting with Mr. McQuack uh, really came full circle for me. And it was a really kind of emotional, special moment for me as I started working at the park. So one more thing to look forward to. So, Jeff, if it wasn't the idea of, yes, I want to be a costume character for sure, or I ha you know, I always felt it in my heart that it was where I wanted to be, what was it that made you want to work at Disneyland? A friend of ours, Justin, he was the one that wanted to go to the audition. And he said, hey, why don't you come with me? And I said, like, mm, okay. And that's about it. Other than the fact that as a aspiring actor, my thought was if I went to work for Disney, I could pretty much write my ticket anywhere. <laughs> and I could just say, hey, I've worked for Disney, man. I'm a pretty big deal. So those were the kind of my two rationale. Funny. And, you know, the only person I know of one person who went on to do anything big, and we'll talk about this eventually in later episodes of some of the the uh, different behind-the-scenes uh, characters in the break rooms that we do. But I know there was one girl who went on to be a villain on Power Rangers, on some iteration of the Power Rangers. So I remember that happening. But it was like, otherwise, everybody was, yeah, aspiring actors that very often didn't seem to really have uh, as many opportunities as you would imagine. And, uh -huh. and even for me, you know, I had actually, by the time I graduated high school, I kind of gave up on being an actor. I was like, I realized that I had been a big fish in a small pond. And then <laughs> UCLA slapped me down and I'm like, all right, I've, I got nothing. Uh, I'll just be a, a, an entertaining person in life of my own accord. <laughs> but so for me, just like Jeff, actually, remember, I'm two years younger than Jeff. So he had already graduated. I'm still in high school. And then as soon as I graduated, I'm like, well, I need to get a job. Oh, yeah, Jeff works at Disneyland. I want to hang out with Jeff. So literally, I was just like, if I could get a job there, is there an audition coming up? He's like, yeah, there's one coming up. And once I was committed to doing it, believe me, I was there for the magic, the possibility of portraying a Disney character. You know, and I was very curious to see how the sausage was made. You know, I, I wanted to understand the, the uh, inner workings. But it's just, it's not something I would have actually sought out for myself. I probably would have ended up working at Blockbuster Video or something like that, uh -huh, you know? Uh -huh. It was just that Jeff was there, and I was like, I can work with my buddy? Fine. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. So that being said, we obviously we did get hired and Jeff, are there stories when people find out that you were, you know, a member of the zoo crew, they get excited. What do you tell them or what do people ask you a lot that are some of your go-to stories? Usually when people ask you what you do or they ask you something, they don't really care. They're just trying to make conversation. But if you throw out, oh, I worked at Disney, then they're at least, oh, really? And they usually have like one more question they're actually interested in. That's kind of how the conversation would go for me is that someone would ask, where do you work or whatever? And I, and I would always say, 
I work either for Disney or at Disneyland. And that would be my first thing. And they would, oh, really? What do you do? And then I would say I'm in entertainment would be my second thing. And then if they kept pushing, I don't want to like lie. So I'm going to kind of, and I say like, well, I do multiple things. I dress up in different characters and I do stage stuff and I do this and that and the other, whatever. Um, which usually it always seemed to be there was someone nearby me that would be like, he's goofy. Like that would, they would just give it away or whatever. Which that's the bummer is that a costume character is a very unique profession, especially in a lot of other people's eyes. It's kind of like being a clown where a clown is actually an incredibly difficult thing to do well. But I don't think most people think that. I think if you tell someone your profession is you're a professional clown, they laugh in your face and not in a good way. And it's kind of that same thing with a character. So if I just say, hey, I'm goofy, it's a weird conversation. So in a really, really long way to answer your original question, my favorite one, it was actually I was on my last legs. I had just gotten another, I actually started my own business. And so I was just about to leave. And this one guy like happened to mention that I, that I worked at Disneyland. And he said, hey, I'm going to bring my three-year-old daughter to Disneyland for the first time. Do you have any advice? And I was just like, this is the greatest moment of my life. Thank you for finally asking the right question. So I don't know if he did it, but my one time to actually shine, I got to say, like, honestly, the best thing you can do is walk through those gates, put your daughter down and say, lead on and just follow her all day long. And I guarantee you it will be the greatest experience you've ever had at Disneyland. Whether he did it or not, I don't know. But for me... I wish, I wish more people would ask that question. Yeah, now see, as you guys can tell, and I'm sure you've noticed as we've gone through our conversation here, Jeff and I, we're friends, we're similar in many ways, but Jeff's reverence for Disneyland, for having been a character, for really what it meant and what it can mean to people is enormous. And I am kind of on the other end where I was there to have a good time and I and I really enjoyed it, but I think in a very different way from Jeff. So I'm not going to pussyfoot around something. So let me mention this. During my training time, as I was just learning to be a costume character, one of the things everybody hears about, like the rumors, like, oh, there's a basketball court in the Matterhorn, or there's underground tunnels all over Disneyland. And I found out, well, one of those things is true. Oh, they're both true. Yeah, they're both true. But I, I, didn't, I haven't experienced the, the basketball court. Oh, no. Okay. So one of the awesome things I got to do was Tomorrowland was where I was trained. Not necessarily characters that are based in Tomorrowland, but it was like a training ground they decided to set up. And so I remember being in an underground dressing room and getting dressed and then walking through these just like corridors of pipes that I knew were like right under Space Mountain. And, right, you know, I was just like, where am I? Like, this is so crazy. Then getting to come up and meet guests and interact with them and all of that. But just the fact that I had traveled through secret corridors was a big deal. Then a little bit later on in my career, I was there working a night shift. And at the Tomorrowland Terrace, which most people now probably know, that's where they do the big Jedi training school show. Also, you know, traditionally, it 
was a place where they would have bands perform there. And so they had a band, you know, it wasn't anybody big. It was just kind of, you know, a top 40 band. So they decided for their big finale, they were going to bring a bunch of characters out. So it was like me and three other characters. And we got to come up through this like elevated platform that brought us up in the middle of the song. And then everybody's like, yeah, you know, you just hear the crowd erupt. And so it was like the moment to be like a costume character and a rock star all in one <laughs> for three minutes of a song and just dance Dream. around and have a great time. So those are some, some of like the cooler things. It's like, yes, there are underground tunnels in case you were curious. Like they definitely, definitely exist. Well, as far as I'm aware, there's only one underground tunnel at Disneyland, Disneyland, and it smells like old bread. When you're in costume, you can't tell. <laughs> oh, I could. <laughs> that might your mask. Oh, I know one. One of my favorite ones is that, so one of the hardest things about the job is autograph books. Autograph books are the spawn of the devil. <laughs> they, I, I, I don't know. It's, uh, and what, what was always heartbreaking for me is that here is Goofy come to life, or here is the beast, or here is whoever come to life standing right there in front of you and you shove an autograph book in his face he scribbles something and then you walk away and it's just like really so for me it was always like i wish i could have that moment you know where it's like this child that actually or or adult i don't really care like that actually appreciates this character come to life and so for me i remember i mean i guess in six years it's gotta happen once right is that I had one of the, I've had a bunch of them, but one specific moment that I remember, I was at Town Square, which Town Square is kind of that first area that you enter when you come into Disneyland underneath the railroad and stuff like that. And there's the Mr. Lincoln and the flagpole in the middle and stuff like that. I was goofy that day. And I walk out on stage, as we call it, which is coming out into the park from backstage. And as soon as I walk out there, I see this little kid, maybe four, five years old, like way on the other side of like by the fire station. They're over there and I just hear this goofy and this little girl just starts sprinting as fast as she can coming straight towards me and not in like a, oh my gosh, she's going to kill me sort of a way, but in just pure joy. So I do the Kodak moment thing where I get down on one knee and I just stick my arms out and she just dives right in there to get the biggest hug of all. And I was like, there it is. You know, that's that's the dream. That's why we do what we do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very special. And, you know, again, you as a character, that's your job, right? You're supposed to make that moment mean the most it possibly can. But one of the things that also happens there, probably a lot of people listening participated in magic music days as kids. Uh, you know, my nephew just went recently with his high school orchestra. But it's kind of a big program that Disneyland does, and you get to actually perform at Disneyland. And I remember... I remember one time for me, just so you know, there is a special events team at Disneyland that goes out and does the promotional type things. If, if characters are going to be on the news or characters are going to be in a promotional picture or something, you know, it's a very different group than the day to day. So occasionally you would get pulled out for something special and they say, hey, we need your help. We trust you. Can you do this for us? So in this case, there was a Magic Music Days situation where they had double booked two schools and I believe a part of the element too is I think there was some sort of like recording or something that was supposed to be kind of your keepsake from the experience. And so 
basically the scheduling people had messed it up there was this whole school there and the kids were like getting disappointed they weren't actually going to get to perform they weren't going to get a video and they were going to have to reschedule them for a different day so i remember uh, one of my leads you know our, our managers essentially came over and said hey we need you to do this you're going to go in and you're going to beg forgiveness from this kids we're putting it all <laughs> on goofy <laughs> Like, wow. like Goofy's going to be the scapegoat. And I was like, I can do this. So basically what they did was they wrapped me in a bunch of cables, right? And like, you know, audio cables and all this other stuff. So then they open the door and I stumble in and I'm like, you know, running, you know, just falling all over the place or whatever. The kids start laughing. They're like, Goofy, Goofy's here. And then, you know, the lead comes in. He's like, look, guys, here's what happened. You know, Goofy got into the equipment and it just messed oh. up our calendar. And then it's like, I get all my hands and knees and I'm shaking my fists together. I'm begging for their forgiveness, please. And they're like, can you please forgive Goofy? Can you forgive him? They're like, yeah, we love you, Goofy. You know? And I just got all excited, did a little happy dance, you know, high five some kids, you know, like got out of there. But it was just, it was fun to be able to make something better, something that had gone wrong and, and Goofy could save the day for a moment. Right, to have Goofy take the fall <laughs> for the rest of them messing up. Come on! Jeff, you got one more in you. Sure. One of the things that we would do that was beautiful, really, was the Make-A-Wish program. Is that the Make-A-Wish, you know, for those of you that are aware, is that terminally ill children will get a wish, essentially, where they say, like, hey, more than anything, I want this. And sometimes it's like, I want to meet The Rock, or I want to, like, you know, eat ice cream off the Eiffel Tower, or I want to, like, whatever. And this, this organization, that's what they do. So we would get a lot of those. We would get a lot of people that, like... This this child's wish was, I want to see Mickey Mouse. Uh, and I had one that the kid's wish was to meet Jafar from Aladdin, which was very peculiar because, like, Jafar is a villain. And not only that, but Jafar is not a very nice guy. But, again, this is Disney. This is Make-A-Wish. And, like, this is what we're going to do. So, again, I was the one that was kind of on call. So they had me do it. And the Jafar costume is this huge, big old thing and and it was really tough for me because it was like i can't be goofy i can't be like hey everybody because that's not how jafar is and that that wouldn't be this kid's wish like i gotta be jafar but at the same time like oh my gosh so it was at the disneyland hotel and they had you know i got all in costume and me and like uh, a lead or a host or something like that went up to this kid's hotel room he was in there and I remember coming into the room and the kid, I don't know what he was, he was ill from, but he had like a lot of his head was shaved and he kind of had like patchy hair and stuff like that. But I do remember the look on his face when he saw me. And it's crazy to think about just like, why, why is Jafar your thing, kid? <laughs> but it was. And, and it was very awkward because again, I'm not, I, I'm not going to play with him. I'm not going to do, cause that's not what Jafar would do. But I put my arm around him and I kind of like gave him like a hug and we took a picture and it was just seeing in his face. That was what he wanted. And yeah, so it was pretty special again, being able to, to provide that moment for, for him. Yeah, that's pretty neat. And also just from a character perspective, Jafar is not a regular character at the park. So exactly, it's fun right. to be able to get into those more unique unique outfits every once in a while uh, you know for a special occasion and again we'll we'll talk about some special events down the line in another episode uh as we close out on these i'm gonna leave you with one more because a lot of this has been sweet and that again that's who j 
Jeff is. That's what this is about. But I, <laughs> and Adam's going to go a different route. Some of you are here to get a little bit more like, okay, tell me something crazy that happens. So tell me something I'm not seeing. So one of uh, the places that Jeff and I worked uh, together quite a bit, actually, we would both be able to be there. And for those who don't know, you know, you kind of trade off. So you, you there's going to be two goofies at a time. <gasps> We've given it away. But, you know, one goes in, one takes a break. You know, that's how it works. We'll get into more detail on that in the future. But I had come back from a break and I was just kind of resting. You know, I got a couch back there. I was just sitting and... What happens is there's not only costume characters where you're totally encased, there's face characters who are, generally speaking, the princesses. Occasionally you get Aladdin, you know, you get the Mad Hatter, you know, people like that. But it's generally, it's it's Alice, it's Snow White, it's, you know, not really Cinderella. She doesn't get out that much. But anyway, so, <laughs> so Snow White was the face character that was in on that shift. And so, you know, of course she's out there, she's like, it's so nice to meet you, oh, you you know, she would do her little Snow White voice to every table and she would walk around and visit people. So then I'm coming back on a break and I'm just like, oh, and I don't know if I was like stepping outside to make a call or what, just needed some sun, whatever. So I, I walk out the door and I just see Snow White is there and she's just got a cigarette in her mouth. She's just puffing away. And I was hearing her real voice. Like she was on a phone call. She's just like, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it's like. You know, I was just like, what? Like it blew again i'm somebody who like really believes when somebody's in the costume even if i work with them like i get into it and so to see that it just like blew my mind i was like if if the guests could see this it would be so crazy so it's just seeing snow white smoking was one of those uh, you know loss of innocence moments for me uh, but also just unforgettable uh, she wasn't in costume by the way just because that would be a major faux pas but either way it was pretty interesting and i was just like so what do you what do you do after you know she just like had her her banaca you know her her mouth spray and whatever else just to get the smell out and that was it you know so well and then along those same lines adam mentioned before when we went to the marvel i thought it was called the marvel diner but you said it was called the marvel marvel mania marvel mania so marvel mania is the for me the star of the night i know adam is a huge big spider-man fan even though i thought the spider-man was not the best like he 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 should have been funnier. Spider-Man's a pretty funny guy, but Captain America yes. stole the show. <laughs> and the thing is, too, is that Captain America, he was a regular at Disneyland as Tarzan. So the exact same guy, you know, all of a sudden he shows up shows up in a loincloth, and it's a very different sort of a... He's still, you know, he's still a humorous Tarzan, but, you know. And I, I didn't know that, actually. That's funny. I mean, because we, and, and we should say, you know, another fun tidbit. You know, you're a costume character at a theme park. There's actually some crossover there, especially at Universal Studios. So we had a lot of friends who worked with us in costume and then would go play superheroes at Universal Studios, which would have been a dream for me. And so they were amazing. Yeah, also. yeah but I, yeah, I do remember Captain America that night. His greatest joke well we because you know we're up in la you know universal studios hollywood and so we told him oh yeah we're from irvine and he's like oh behind the orange curtain is that where that came yes. from i've used that line ever <laughs> since i thought that was a thing people said no that's cap oh. all the way <laughs> i always refer to it as the orange curtain now that is that's hilarious, hilarious. <laughs> so i hope you've had a lot of fun listening to this again this is the show is going to be two friends just kind of reminiscing 
something. Again, we're not going to be talking about so much of our, our past history before the park. They're going to be very specifically themed episodes. We're going to take you through our journey. Okay, so I'll give you a quick rundown just to give you an idea of where we're going to be at. We're going to talk about the audition process, which so much fun. There's a lot there. I actually auditioned twice. I was there on two separate occasions, so I'll have a lot of interesting insight there. We're going to talk about the training process, which as you're getting into it, you're learning so much. Going to Disney University, you know, you're, you're getting the, the full insight and understanding the history and what you do. Uh, we're going to talk about our favorite characters that we love to play and the stories that go with that. And also some of our not so favorite characters, because there, there are a few of those. We're going to, like I said, get into the California Adventure experience. That was unforgettable when that park launched and just what was involved in really this is a Disney park <laughs> to how we stayed there. And then they started making it more. So we talk about the Disney dining experiences. Cause we didn't just work at Goofy's kitchen at the Disneyland hotel. There were a lot of Disney character dining experiences. We'll talk about some of the special events we got to participate in. We're going to tell you about our break room bonding experiences. Some of the, the friendships we made and what other kind of adventures that took us on. Let you know, like the fun people that, that work at Disneyland and some of just, the unique individuals that never to be forgotten. Also, we're going to talk about some of the cast nights, the employee events, because there are a lot of those things that people will never... Even, you know, VIP guests are not a part of these employee nights and some stuff that goes on there that is just one of a kind. Then we talked about it, the celebrity encounters, some of our craziest guests that we had to deal with. Not everybody has respect for costume characters, so we, we've had a few encounters here and there. Then we'll get into making it a career. Like I said, Jeff was in it a lot longer than I was, and there's that decision. There comes that time. Is it a career? Is it not a career? What is the potential of working at Disneyland and what what opportunities are open to you and you know we'll talk about our decision to leave what brought that about what was involved there what did it mean to our lives how did things change and we'll eventually get kind of a, a wrap up we're going to talk about you know life beyond the berm as we say you'll learn what that means as you come back and some of you Disney fanatics already know and like I said, there's going to be all sorts of special episodes along the way. We'll throw in a few interviews. We're hoping to get some of our other friends that work there. The ones who currently work there, not available. That's uh, that's going to be a big no-no. And who knows how quickly we're going to get shut down. But we're going to give it to you as long as we can <laughs> until uh, the mouse comes after us. But no, like I said, we're not here to be provocative or shocking. We're here to tell you just how much fun we had and what the experience really was like maybe you'll never get that maybe it'll inspire you to try it out for yourself who knows so that is that and again if you like what you've heard so far keep an eye out for the updates you can follow our twitter account at two goofs pod okay so at the number two goofs pod pod uh, so we'll give you updates there, especially some little things here and there as we're leading into the launch of our first episode. And the plan is to release that show monthly. So the, the Two Goofs podcast monthly all throughout 2019, one show a month, a few bonus episodes here and there. That's going to start in January of 2019. So mark your calendars. 
if you want to email us, feel free. If you're a former cast member and you want to participate somehow and share some of your stories, that would be awesome too. You can uh, email us at two goofs podcast at gmail.com. Again, the number two goofs podcast is all the way spelled out at gmail.com and just spread the word to your friends, your family, your fellow Disney fanatics. Let people know about this. Cause I guarantee you there's nothing else out there like this i was actually really surprised i'm like there's no other cast members that have done this did we all sign a, a non-disclosure agreement that i'm forgetting i think the statute of limitations is in our favor at this point i i don't think anything that we did back then can be held against us and i don't think they have any uh, say as to what we share now but who knows so be there for two goofs we want you to be part of our goof troop so until next time 